you know, I'm really grateful that the study was conducted. Um, and I think we have a long way to go in terms of figuring out pathways to mending the trauma, um, especially given that we are living in a society where there are a sizable number of people mm. within the U.S. who don't even acknowledge that racism exists. Is a real issue. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center. And I'm Dr. Sassan Nagash from San Diego State University. This week, Sassan is bringing us an article about the impact of racism and trauma on the well-being of Black mothers and their children. Written and led by Dr. Yara Makawi and all, it was published in the Journal of American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry titled Intergenerational Transmission of Depression, Examining the Roles of Racism and Trauma Among Black Mothers and Youth. But before we start talking about that article, a few housekeeping items as always. If you have some new research on relationships that you want us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com, tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us, all at attachedpodcast, or go straight to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. If you would like to support this little podcast and help us get relationship science out into the world, please consider going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash attached and donate. As always, wherever you listen to Attached, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and so forth, so on and so on, please rate, review, and subscribe to it. All right. Are you guys all ready? Let's get into this week's episode. We in this country have failed to effectively acknowledge, understand, and address the mental health implications of racialized discrimination among the Black community. We have even less awareness of the intergenerational impact of racism and associated trauma on maternal and child mental health outcomes. This article attempts to get us thinking about that. Sasan, I'm so glad that you have brought this article titled Intergenerational Transmission of Depression, Examining the Roles of Racism and Trauma Among Black Mothers and Youth by Dr. McCauley. Talk to us about what they found. Thanks, Pierre. So um, this was a cross-sectional study um, conducted using a sample of about 148 um, mothers and children. Um, and they identified as Black or African-American and ranged in age. Uh, the mothers did from 20 to 59. Um, and I think the average age was somewhere around 30-something uh, years old. And the children were between 7 and 13. So youth, young children, um, you know, adolescents, older adolescents were not included in this study. Um, and the participants resided in a large urban community um, in the south southeastern part of the U.S. Um, I believe it was Georgia. And most received um, in this study, <clears throat> the mothers received at least a high school diploma. Employment status was not determined um, 
and neither was romantic status. So we don't know if these mothers were in partnerships or not. Um, and the participants with intellectual um, disabilities um, or who were identified as having children um, on the autism spectrum were excluded from mm -hmm. the study. So a little bit about the demographics, um, just to give us a sense of who 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 exactly participated. So, as you mentioned, there exists pretty there's little empirical data that exists that examines really the role that racism has on the intergenerational transmission of depression um, among mothers and their children. I argue that that extends also to black men, but that wasn't what was studied in this in this article. Um, but to address that void, the authors attempted to do a few things. Um, one of the things they wanted to do was replicate past findings that um, examine maternal experiences of racism and the impact that had on their depression as well as um, their children. But that was done using um, individuals from uh, middle income status. Um, and so in this study, they wanted to replicate those findings and looked at maternal experiences of racism um, to see if they were significantly related to depression among, again, mothers and their children within communities with um, few socioeconomic resources. Uh, another thing they wanted to look at in this study was um, if maternal trauma was indirectly related to children's depression via via the effect of the maternal um, mother's depression symptoms. Um, and last, they wanted to look at trauma um, separate from racism. And this, um, the third leg of the study was really looking at the indirect effects of maternal experiences of racism on children's depression, again, via the mother's depression and how it was related to the impact of any exposures the, the mother has had in the past to trauma. So that was, I think, a, a interesting piece to add, and I'll speak to that later um, in my um, discussion. So in terms of what they used to measure some of these factors, in terms of trauma, they used the traumatic events inventory, um, and that has, I believe has about 19 items on there, and it's used to assess for trauma symptoms. Interestingly, when looking at some of the descriptive statistics, we we noticed that like 92% of the individuals who completed uh, this study experienced some form of trauma. Wow. Um, I know. Um, IPV, sexual assault, um, serious injury accidents, and some other items that were described. And more than half reported experiencing at least four types of trauma. We'll talk about that because this mm -hmm. was a convenient sample and it really drew in um, participants from um, public health uh, agencies dealing with trauma. Okay. Um, we It makes sense that these large numbers were large, but you know, 92% is significant for sure. And about 67% reported experiences of discrimination, mm -hmm. um, racialized discrimination. And half the participants um, reported minimal symptoms of depression, 15% um, reported mild, 17% reported moderate, and then 17% again reported severe symptoms of depression. And among children, that number was around 8% who identified um, as having clinically significant experiences of depression. Mm. I should note that it was the mothers who um, completed reports on children's symptoms of depression 
Um, they, I believe, tried to gather that information from the children, but there was concern about the validity of the measure um, for that. So they used um, mother self-report. So um, we'll talk about that in terms of the limitations. Mm -hmm. But so what did they find? Um, to me, not surprisingly, given my experience in the research looking at um, racialized trauma and the impact that has on the body and, and mm -hmm. mental health, but um, they found that mothers with experiences of racism um, were more likely to have more severe symptoms of depression as well as their children um, who also experienced having more symptoms of depression. Um, mothers' experiences of racism was also tied to their children's symptoms of depression via the mother's depression symptoms. So that sort of talked about the the the, the fact that it wasn't necessarily the, the, the racial experience that caused the children's depression, but the mother's experience of depression that was really linked to that um, depression among children. Not surprisingly, the extent of the mother's, mother's exposure to trauma impacted the indirect effect of racial discrimination on children's depression. I was, um, again, not surprised to find these, but I was really also glad that we we're having more conversations around the impact that something that we tend to talk about as like a social problem is really a, a medical problem, a mental health problem in our society. And so um, to see that mm. data reaffirm that to me was, I think, exciting because I'm, I'm really hoping that we can use hard science to push this work forward, um, particularly around addressing racism in this country and the impact that it has on our Black community. So with regards to the, the third um, finding, um, they found that the extent of the mother's exposure to traumatic experiences impacted the indirect effect that their uh, experience of racism had on children's depression and such that the indirect relationship between maternal experiences of racism and children's depression was not significant among mothers with relatively low exposure, um, trauma exposure. Wow. So like in other words, uh, mothers who don't have trauma exposure have very low trauma exposure. That intergenerational transmission of depression seems to almost disappear. Is that a fair conclusion? Yeah, I mean, e even despite having experiences of racial right. discrimination, right? That that seems to be an important factor to consider when looking at that. It's not just as necessarily the the racialized discrimination that they experience, but that in combination with um, their exposure to trauma. Wow. Yeah. And so as far as some of the limitations, I mean, this was a cross-sectional study. So, um, you know, we can't make any causal inferences um, based on, on, on just the way that uh, the data was collected and also analyzed. Um, and then also looking at the children's experience of um, depression through the eyes of, through reports from the mother as opposed to hearing it directly from them or through their own perspective was something that we couldn't assess in the study. Um, and also the fact that they did not assess for children's experiences of, of racism too, mm. which I think is, is an important piece of this conversation um, and how that may impact their experience of their, you know, their mother's exposure, right? Especially thinking about the intergenerational impact of racism being sort of transmitted through the generations. Um, and because this study was focused on youth between seven and 13, again, we don't know that we can generalize this to, um, 
really young children or um, adolescents and um, mm. beyond the age of 13, um, around that period where we know that mental health symptoms tend to, to increase quite a bit. In terms of looking at racism, I think um, racism experienced in a more cumulative way and oftentimes mm. the way we assess it is very simple. And I think um, you know, I appreciate a lot of aspects of this study, but I don't think that it was assessed in its complexity and in terms of the cumulative way, which it often is experienced by this um, community, this the Black community. So um, rather than looking at experiences of racism, thinking about the historical um, implications and the social, or sorry, the historical factors and the, the social, as well as personal um, experience of, of discrimination, I think is really important to understanding the, the overall real impact it has on people's mental health and their body. I was just going to say, I wonder if part of what you're also maybe alluding to is the fact that they asked about sort of lifetime experiences of discrimination as yes, no questions, mm-hmm. and whether you're also sort of suggesting that um, that maybe doesn't necessarily capture um the weight or the volume of these experiences Mm -hmm. in terms of how often within each category, these experiences may be repeated and repeated and repeated Mm -hmm. over time. Um, And I'm not sure exactly if that's, it it sounds like you're also saying like um, needing to really think about racism as a multi-level experience. that's really complex. Um, But I wonder if that's also part of what you're talking about in terms of the intensity of any of these experiences. Absolutely, yes. I, I think um, the way we capture trauma is is not refined in terms of the data, the literature, and and, sure. and definitely in terms of the measures that we have. Uh, I'm speaking sure. from personal experience trying to find these measures um, sure. with, within some of the communities that I've worked with, and so I think there are some research limitations. But I think you know, I think in just an, our ability to really conceptualize what it really means for Mm -hmm. the Black community in in terms of the historical trauma that they've experienced, the constant exposure, social trauma, that uh, racism that they experienced. I don't think this study captured that. And I think Mm -hmm. so many don't tend to do that. But um, especially looking at racialized trauma, like that Mm -hmm. piece where they sort of separated Mm -hmm. racism and trauma. But I'm like, racialized trauma is in and of itself a real, really serious um, thing for, for within the black community and the implications of that are, are pretty significant when we, when we think about mental health. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious um, to hear your thoughts on the article and um, yeah. Well, and related to what you're, you're just talking about in terms of how they assess these patients' um, trauma experiences, sort of similarly what, what you're talking about, right, is that there were I think 19 different examples of traumatic experiences that these women could have reported ever having experienced. Um, but it really struck me in sort of reading what some of those included. Th- these were not, um, not that there's any such thing as a small trauma, but this list was a list of intensive traumas mm-hmm. about um, right being witnessing the use of a weapon uh, against a loved one um being on the receiving end i think you said earlier uh Sassen, being um receiving end is not the right language but being part of a relationship where there's intimate partner violence uh having um sexual abuse experienced in in childhood and as you said earlier 
uh, I think there's only 8% of this sample. I mean, 8% of these women said, I, none of these traumas have I experienced that that is almost every single person. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's unreal. And the average number was something like three and a half. Uh, right. And, and even at that level of trauma, we didn't see that amplify the connection between racism and children's depression, uh, which is, which is meaning, right. That, that people are experiencing more trauma than that. And that looks like how, uh, in this study that's in concert with also these other experiences, these other traumatic experiences of uh, discrimination. Um, and that is to think about how much toxic persistent stress that would include is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, that's, that's really, really heavy. I agree. I, I think I was reading through this article and thinking about just how just parenting in, in general is in and of itself so stressful. Right, and, but right. when you add these, um, these experiences of of racism constant, I imagine happening because we didn't assess to see how often this stuff was happening to them either, right? right Whether right. they experienced it at all is one, but the, like you said, Sarah, the, the the consistency of that exposure, we don't even know. And I imagine like there are significant implications on the children from it. it I, I guess I'm just really not surprised to see mm-hmm. that it has an impact. It really, of course, to me, is, yeah. is it's so profound just to think what mothers have to endure in mm-hmm. order to survive, let alone to mm-hmm. help another human being thrive in in their in their life. And that I think you had said earlier, Sess, and these were women recruited from medical settings, right? Primary care, emergency room. Um, I don't gynecology, like these were just waiting room samples. This is women coming in for any other kind of appointment being recruited for this. And if we're not doing this kind of screening, we, we would have missed all of this. These women are going to the regular doctor's appointments for Mm -hmm. any number of reasons. Uh, And we so infrequently ask people about these experiences. You're missing all of this. This is what they're so we have potentially, I think, an opportunity to intervene and support these families, uh, and and not that those interventions necessarily need to come through uh, healthcare settings. But I think I was really, really struck by the fact that less than one in ten women said none of these traumas apply to me, mm. and the fact that they were all sitting in a waiting room about to see a healthcare provider, um, and. Uh, there's got there's got to be a place there where we could do a better job of capturing and intervening. Mm-hmm. I think to kind of build on um, what you guys are saying, as I was reading through this, I uh, put on my statistician hat for a little bit um, and noticed that these coefficients, these effects were quite large and they didn't include the effect size, but you guys are going to be surprised about this, but I did calculate uh, the effect sizes myself. Um, and and sometimes when people say things are statistically significant, meaning P is less than 0.05, it, it, it's a small number, right? That the association between the two numbers are a small number and they're statistically significant, maybe not terribly meaningful. That was not the case here. We're talking about medium, small to medium effect sizes across um, the board with um, uh, experiences of 
discrimination on the m- mother's depressive symptoms was a coincidence of 0.39, which is which is very mm. meaningful. And from maternal to child de- depressive symptoms, a, it was even bigger, a 0.42. And that inter- that indirect effect, that mediation effect, the, the the coefficient that was testing the intergenerational trauma was a 0.17 uh, coefficient, which is smaller, but anyone who reads a lot of these know that indirect effects are always really tiny. And this is a large indirect uh, effect, um, all things considered. So from a purely numbers uh, perspective. These are not just uh, throwaway mm-hmm. associations. These are meaningful, mm-hmm. large associations mm-hmm. that we need to, as clinicians, need to start paying more attention to. Um, I'm curious from you guys' perspective, what what interventions do you know exist that simultaneously target the effects of racialized discrimination and the trauma that people face? Is there anything out there? I mean, the experiences of racism and trauma, I mean, we know it changes our nervous system, right? And our brain chemistry, like there's there's no question at this point, just how much we've come, at least with, with regards to trauma, but with racism, I think we're starting to come to understand that. And I think given the this considerable impact it has on the body, I think somatic work is part of the way forward here when we're talking about treatment. Um, Talk to me about what somatic work is. So as far as, you know, it could look very different based on whatever theoretical model um, or, you know, you're using, but there are, um, there are various models now. Fortunately, I think a lot of people are coming around to somatic work. It used to feel much more like a, (laughs) like this, you know, I don't know how to describe it without new agey, hippy dippy. New, yeah, yeah, and, and I think a lot of people are starting to integrate it into their work. Into their work, who do more what we consider like traditional talk therapy. Mm. Um, but I think understanding the mind body connection, particularly when there is trauma, and when we think about intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. and how we don't even acknowledge its existence in our body because mm-hmm. we are not aware of it, mm-hmm. is really important. I think often, like when we're doing talk therapy, people have to count on their their memory of things right things mm-hmm. that they know have happened but when we're talking about trauma and racism and the, again the historical context of that there may not be an awareness there of the impact that it's mm. having and so i think the somatic work is a, one way to really identify in our body sometimes where that might be hidden um so i'm really interested in the somatic aspect of it and having mm. people really look at that more closely um and also thinking about just, you know, when we're working with this particular issue, it, it is really important that the therapist be really culturally mm. tuned to what's, you know, going on for the communities that it's serving, particularly these highly oppressed communities and understanding, taking an oppress, oppressive, sorry, oppression sensitive approach to the work, I think is another important piece. You can't just say I'm culturally aware. I think you have to really understand what oppression does to the body and what it does to the mind, especially when it's happened over multiple generations. Um, So I think there is an awareness that therapists must have around um, the specific 
history of the communities that they're working with. So really informing themselves above, beyond what's happening now within these communities, but what's happened in past generations that might inform what might be sitting in their body at a, at, at a molecular level at the, you know, where their DNA is now altered because of all of these past traumas. Mm-hmm. I think the authors also reference the Embrace Project, the um, which is a very cool, it, it's an incredible uh, research project, um, but really an intervention to support families, especially with young people through um, racial stress and trauma that involves racial socialization. So I, I think it's the um, the EMBRACE acronym, forgive me, is, is something along the lines of like engaging, managing, and bonding through race. Uh, and engages families, parents, and kids in this racial socialization process. Uh, so sort of working on reducing some of this racial stress and trauma related to race-based discrimination while promoting positive conversations and connection around racial identity. Um, and it's, it's, they write some of the most beautiful papers I, I ever read. They're, mm-hmm. um, they're doing phenomenal work, really family-based work, uh, looking to intervene in those relationships and talking about some of the, um, uh, like race-based pride, right? And some of the shared positive experiences about having a shared um, cultural identity. And uh, and I I really loved seeing that reference. The, the conclusion of this paper, if, if you're listening and you're um, uh, a researcher with access to, to papers, this is one that's well worth the time to pull up. I think mm-hmm. the, the conclusion, the discussion, how they have couched what they have found here and next steps is really beautifully done. The authors did, a, uh, I think, a really beautiful job. And in there, they referenced that work too, which is very cool. What should our listeners now take away from this study and our conversation therein? I feel like this is, um, you know, the study... I think is a, a reminder to us that there's still a lot that we really need to think about and be mindful of when we're serving as clinicians in particular, working within the black community. Um, but but in, in general, I just think one of the things I want us to really continue to, to really think about is just the experience of racism and trauma on our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, at the, at, again, at the molecular level, like our nervous system, our brain chemistry is all significantly impacted. And this can happen through the generation. So you can be born into having some of these alterations in mm-hmm. your in your DNA. Um, so I think as the work around this, the research continues to grow. I think as clinicians, we have to really think about how do we improve our work, expand our work, adapt our work to really work around these issues and really thinking about um Again, I mentioned earlier somatic work, but thinking about how that could be utilized, um, somatic work, including, you know, everything from breathing exercises to meditation to really just helping people understand some of the ways like body sensation and understanding mm-hmm. where when they're activated, it is it isn't showing up in their bodies. Um, and I think thinking about taking Um, If we're not already in our practice, thinking about engaging in trauma-informed work, going a step further and thinking about trauma-specific work and adopting that and when working within the Black community and and working even with with youth, especially, I think, for those who think, well, you know, the youth have been exposed to less maybe trauma 
or maybe less racism. So maybe there's no room or, for conversation around issues of race. But I don't think that this is what the study is saying. I think it's saying these conversations may benefit to have, you know, children might benefit from having someone who's really uh, understanding of what impacts racism might have in their lives, um, whether it's experienced directly or indirectly. So taking a social justice approach um, is, is important, both in the education of medical and mental health professionals. I also think we want to be mindful of some of the larger systemic barriers that may get in the way of some of this work, mm -hmm. um, the mm -hmm. lack of Medicaid expansion, um, the lack of diversity in terms of yes. those who represent the medical and mental health fields and mm -hmm. how it's just going to be that much more important for us to, if we are, we don't come from those communities, if we're not, you know, members of the black community identify thinking about how we do this work in a really thoughtful way. And how do we, you know, the age old conversation for me is like, how do we get more diversity within our fields so that people could feel more comfortable to approach us and express their needs? I think even if you have mothers and children experiencing, you know, severe depression, um, histories of, of, of trauma and racism, if they don't trust the system, if they don't trust the medical professionals or the mental health professionals that are out there, then, you know, what is it all for, right? We can't really do this work unless people are trusting us to do the work with them. Yeah. And and that's going to take a lot of consideration for how we do that and, and really bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, I'm really grateful that this study was conducted um, and I think we have a long way to go in terms of figuring out pathways to mending the trauma, um, especially given that we are living in a society where there are a sizable number of people mm. within mm. the U.S. who don't even acknowledge that racism exists, is a real issue. <laughs> yeah. And that people are exaggerating their symptoms mm -hmm. or that there's no real consequences of racism. Right. That it, again, it's a social issue and not something that has real life health implications for people. Um, so, you know, there's a long ways to go in terms of getting people on board, but hopefully we can continue to spread the word and, and get people to see that their words, their actions matter mm -hmm. and that they can cause real harm to people's lives. And um, yeah. As evidenced here, thank you so much for bringing uh, this article. And as always, thanks for listening to Attached. If you're interested, a link to the study is in our show notes. Please help us share this, um, this work and share it with others. As always, your reviews and re ratings of this uh, podcast help with that, help us find more people. So please consider rating and reviewing this episode. Finally, if you have any relationship questions you want us to talk about, email us at attachedpodcast.gmail.com or get at us on any of the social medias at Attached Podcast. We cannot wait to talk about it.